Welcome to the Critical Math Job Podcast with part two of our conversation with Nth Education Partners, Esther, Jerrica, Jennifer, and Chanel. And in part one, we had an opportunity to speak with them about their organization, Nth Education Partners. You can check them out at ntheducation.com and the work that they do and how they have built their foundation. We discussed a resource on their website about disrupting racism and math education. And we also had the opportunity to speak with Esther about a new book that she just published with Dr. Latifa E. Dean. And now we continue and we are going to ask Jennifer a question about her work, Jerrica and Chanel, and we end with a game and with some I am affirmations that Michelle led us in. So without further ado, this is the rest of our conversation with our amazing colleagues. Yeah, and I, I think um, it's actually a really good connection to the question that you were, we were going to ask you, Jennifer, about um, the class that you're teaching called Rehumanizing Mathematics. And you also wrote an article about it. Yes, we can add the applause in our editing for the Illinois Mathematics Teacher Journal from ICTM. So can you share a little bit more about um, the class and um, when will we be able to read and access your article? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first and foremost, I want to give a shout out to my incredible colleague who created the curriculum uh, at the school that I teach for Rehumanizing Math and started the course and brought it to the school, Virginia Roach. Um, she started this course, wrote that curriculum, and uh, she currently is now working on her master's degree in Washington. And so just huge shout out and appreciation to Virginia. Um, uh, I've had the privilege to teach this class this year thanks to her, her work, and I'm doing my best to honor this curriculum as well as put in um, excerpts of my own. Um, but overall, this rehumanizing math class is um, was very inspired by Dr. Ro Ro Rochelle Gutierrez, as Jenna has uh, basically shared. She's admired Dr. Gutierrez from afar, even though she wasn't one of her students. Um, it's a non-traditional math course uh, with a humanities lens that expands students' views about mathematics, learning, and education, where we explore the virtues of math. And these virtues are from the, uh, the book by Francis Sue, uh, Mathematics for Human Flourishing. Uh, we read that book um, as a, a classroom of seniors. This is a senior-only elective class offered at my high school. And um, we read this, this book just to kind of set the tone. That first unit is all about mathematics and identity and personal identity around um, mathematics. So we reflect on our personal experiences uh, with our journey in mathematics and students start to begin analyzing mathematics in a different lens through practice and play, which were two of the virtues that Francis Sue mentioned in his book. Like um, most of the time we, we share that, you know, in our uh, K to 12 schooling experience, Math is often um, taught in a way where it's rote memorization, practice, practice, practice. You know, um, Pythagorean theorem, we're here a lot, but um, Pythagoras obviously got the credit. But where else in the world did people discover the so-called 
Pythagorean theorem or right triangle theorem. And so our students in this course get to start uh, questioning the dominant narratives that are inherent in our textbooks and our stories that we, we share in our mathematics classrooms. And they start um, thinking about and creating counter narratives themselves through our following unit where we learn about ethnomathematics and mathematics in different cultures. And then right before the semester end, we, start, uh, we ended with the third unit on the mathematics of storytelling, where I had my scholars create um, storybooks of um, mathematicians or um, scientists that are of um, non that are non-white, and um, they actually used the resource by Annie Perkins. Her website arbitrarilyclose.com. It's an excellent uh, website. If no one's um, um, seen that yet, I learned it from Esther Song a few years ba back, where she posted on. Um, Nepantla teachers community the resource to have um, the mathematician project and um, I, I expand these topics a little bit more in my article that will be published with ICTM this month sometime maybe next month um, it oh, hasn't okay. been out yet but be on the lookout on the ICTM website and um, uh, in terms of this class two, something I do want to share out is the first half of class because this is a 90 minute block period um, the first half of class is where students do a uh, math activity where they are um, creating a passion project. And um, this is like towards the Thursday or Friday end of the, the school week. And they usually prepare that weekend before and I check in with them a few times and give them feedback on their presentation. But they basically select a, a passion. Um, and these passions have included anywhere from math and sports, criminology, synchronized figure skating, baking, the world of unfiction. I had no idea what it was. I learned a lot about the world of unfiction this year. Graphic design, anesthesiology, um, dance, meteorology, and art. And they're able to make mathematical connections, turn it into a math activity for their peers to do. And we just have a lot of fun in the class overall. Okay, I have questions about that. Uh, so, oh, Jennifer. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting when we have students think about like who gets the claim narrative like um matthew henderson who's one of the first who was the first person to like really get into the antarctic did not get that credit for a really really long time because he wasn't the financer behind that and so it's like who gets the late claim and credit to these mathematical or scientific concepts um, when I teach uh, science for K-5, the first project we do is they have to find a mathematical, like they have to find a science person or a science thing that um, is from a community of color and learn. And then they make a, um, a flip a flip grid story about it so they can show. And it, it starts the class off to be like, whatever you think science is, it's not. And let's look and unpack that. But Jennifer... My question is about this. Do they do an activity every week or is this like an ongoing, like are they working on this math project? Because I have my babies make a math game. Like they work together to create a math game on based off one of the standards that we did. And that's the end of the year. Like after standardized testing, our brains are fried. And then I have, I call it math con and I have like a little cape, like that comic con, but with math games and then I get to wear a cape and dress up like a superhero because I'm all into cosplay, 100%. Um, but do you have them work on this? Like, do they do this activity every week 
or are they working towards that? Like, are they like constantly doing iterations to, to have this project? Thank you for your question, Michelle. That's an excellent question. Um, and so just knowing the context, these are seniors and they're really busy. And, you know, first semester seniors, they are just worried about applying for colleges and AP classes, that sort of thing. And so this is not a weekly project, even though that might be a cool idea in the future. You just gave me some ideas. Um, this is kind of like every one or two weeks on a Thursday or Friday, the, the, we create a master schedule of the number of students like and I have the Thursday Fridays listed and I say who wants to go first the first Thursday Friday coming up in a few weeks and so on and they know they have to plan for that exact week only and so this is over just one week span of when they're planning but if they want to start early and get it out of the way or if they want to like start thinking about ideas and usually after the first couple presentations where the student presents their week project um they uh basically are inspired and the projects just get better and better and they just keep surprising you you know and um in regards to how um our school day works because we're in a block schedule i think we're in a um a fortunate spot where it's not monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday i see them i might see them monday tuesday wednesday or tuesday thursday that week and so there's a lot of time gaps in between where they do have time to work on it um, before their presentation i hope that answers your question oh my god i'm so excited i think i might i think i might change it i have sixth graders so there's got a lot, there's got to be way more scaffolding um i'm still going to keep the game aspect um but i think that i want i want it to tie in like a math standard, a passion project, and then like an activity or a game or a comic strip uh, explaining something. I think that'd be super cool. Uh, I love it. Yeah. I'm so inspired by your math comic con. I, you're giving me awesome ideas. It is so <laughs> much fun. It is so much fun because uh, they get excited because they build the pieces for their games. They spend time, they build the board games um, and it and it allows them to kind of like really connect um the math to like all the things so it's it's pretty cool i'm excited but i'm excited thank you jennifer like this is i'm gonna remember this when i listen to the podcast in three months i'm like oh my god yes i'm gonna do this activity in may it's great too because it's an example of what we were just talking about about personalized you know knowing your students your students are the leaders and they're the ones who are choosing. And then as the teacher, you're learning from your students, right? So I love too that you're you're flipping that narrative. Um, okay, so Jerrica. Well, oh, well, thank you. Yeah, go Michelle. Jerrica, we know in the past you have worked with students where have they have learned about the mathematics of empathy. We think that this is super powerful and we love to learn more about this approach and how you did it in your classroom. Great, thank you. Um, so uh, I, my situation's a bit similar to Chanel's. I've been out of the public school um, education classroom for a couple of years now and trying to focus on our Nth Education Partners group here and hopefully get us off the ground soon. Um, so that's why I'm sharing some of my experience from the past. So I was first introduced to the idea of the importance of empathy in math by Dr. Anita Rampal. 
um, at a international math society conference. And that's also where I met uh, Rochelle Gutierrez for the first time. Um, and I'm super grateful for the impact that they had on my work. At the time uh, when I first started engaging with mathematics of empathy, I was teaching at an alternative high school on the southwest side of Chicago uh, that's down the street from Cook County Jail. And for those of you that don't know, Cook County Jail uh, is the largest single site jail here in Chicago well, in, in Illinois. And most of my students would cycle through there. So they were facing incredibly difficult and stressful situations. And as you can imagine, if you were not making mathematics relevant, they just were not going to your class. Um, so I took the circumstance as a call to action and fused uh, Dr. Rempal's work on um, empathy with Paulo Freire's work, which was um, a, a pillar of the school that I taught at at the time. Um, and created my own curriculum called Mathematics of Empathy. So throughout the semester, I would challenge students to reimagine what mathematics looks like by applying praxis to disrupt injustices that our students and community faced while teaching integrated mathematics and financial literacy. And we would study things like the school to prison pipeline, the war on drugs, militarism, speciesism, racism, classism, and many more systems of oppressions that my students at that time um, really interacted with on a daily basis. And like you were saying earlier, Michelle, it's all about getting to know your students and the community that you're working in and really building that relationship is, a heart, is at the heart of the social justice education work in my opinion too. So when we, uh, we would have days when doing mathematics um, would look like getting together in circle and learning in circle or doing community events or going on community tours, even hosting community tours for uh, parents or other members of the communities to join in as well, or siblings, um, doing interdisciplinary projects and engaging in civic uh, actions like protests or nonviolent direct actions to dissect these complex systems while understanding the story behind the numbers, figures, and data that we worked with um, for that unit. So the goal of Mathematics of Empathy was to really arm an individual with sustainable and relevant math skills to defend their lives and the lives of their communities, both on locally and a global scale, uh, in order for each of us to really thrive and achieve our potential. And so I really see teaching mathematics as an avenue to build empathy as a global citizen and emphasize the importance of connecting mathematics to the stories we live, the impact they carry, and the way that we relate to one another and our surroundings, which is contrary to the traditional mathematics that asserts that our relations impact and stories really have no place in the field. Yeah, I remember um, talking with you about the that you shared with me the mathematics of empathy, and you talked about how um, you said that you see your students' calculations through their actions of helping and supporting each other. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I think it's really powerful. Yeah. Um, so one of the ways that we would, I would kind of like measure this mathematics of empathy because it wasn't all quantitative, right? It's a lot of qualitative when we're talking about that and um, was the interactions in my classroom and how were they really 
coming together as a community and interacting, right? Were they able to have empathy for one another? Because growing up in these difficult situations and circumstances where you're coming from uh, homes where maybe one parent is present or no parent is present, or there's a revolving door of incarceration, whether that's within your family or in your own life, or there's um, you know, pregnancy early on in your life or multiple children and you're trying to have to like focus on graduating um, high school and you're going through all of these struggles, um, to me, like having empathy was really seeing how they would help one another, right? Because sometimes they would miss class because they had other responsibilities or other issues that came up in their life. Like, did you take notes for somebody? Are you sharing? Um, we would stay after school together sometimes and catch some of them up. Like sometimes there were only be four students that um, came to class and it was all about helping each other out because one hadn't been there for a month and the other one was there every day. And the other one was like, maybe he lost a family member, decided to take two weeks off. Like it was just a lot of situations that you could tell that it was just difficult for them to show up to have stability. And you had to offer a lot of this stability um, through the environment that was created in the classroom. And so them learning how to even work with each other, which like to me, I use Kagan structures. And if you're not familiar with that, um, you can look it up. I really, I am a big fan of Kagan structures and community building supports that it does to for cooperative learning. Um, but when I saw how they treated each other, they stopped like even rival gang members, right? That's a big deal to be able to uh, interact in a non-threatening way. Um, because one thing is that it's a school rule. Another thing is like the world that we live in and it's a whole nother thing outside of school. So even having them just humanize one another really showed me that the power of the work that we were doing, because it was also a school where as a whole, we were focused on it. Like every subject's teacher was a social justice educator. So that's a very big component as well. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about the Chicago context in terms of the racial profiling and the level of surveillance? It just sounds extremely high uh, if, you know, students were getting picked up and sent to Cook County that often. Sure. Um, you know, at that time when I when I worked at the alternative high school, I became much more aware of the extremely violent racist policies that exist in our public schools um, in Chicago and as a society as a whole, um, because a lot of those students at that alternative high school were labeled um, more or less like the throwaway kids, right? The ones that don't really matter, the ones that aren't going to be anyone anyway, so don't waste your time. Um, and that was coming from their own mouths. Um, we did an event one year where we made a short film uh, with CAM TV and the Radical uh, Education Youth Project and Project NIA here in Chicago um, that was called Doing the Maths Will Push Outs. I think you can look it up on YouTube and find it. Um, our, my math classes organized that event with some community organizations and they would share some stories that were just so horrific, like to the point where police officers knew that they were affiliated with certain gangs and they would pick some of them up and drop them in rival gang territory 
on purpose so that they would get their ass beat. I'm not sure if that's cursing. I'm sorry if that is, um, but it was, it's terrible. Like it's brutalization, it's police brutality at, right at, at the at the heart of everything and so like when some of these students don't show up or when they're like you know not focused in your math class it wasn't anything to take personal and that was something that was so important you know at the beginning of my education career for me to understand that a lot of the things when they're not listening to you it has nothing to do with you like it has nothing to do you know with all these preconceived notions like we were talking about your lesson is not this special like this person has a life and they're just struggling on some basic needs like basic safety they don't have basic stability and and how can you help get them there and so like that's a form of mathematics too right can you just start at that basic level of math of humanity of just seeing this person needs help so i can help how can i add to their life instead of continuing to subtract right and getting frustrated or trying to guilt trip them or blaming them um, so a lot of those stories would come out in in circles that we would do um, and even them being discriminated for their sexuality, their gender, mm-hmm. um, their class. Most of I think at that school, it was maybe like 98 um, percent Latinx. So that was the majority of the population just at that particular school. Mm hmm. Wow. I mean, it just sounds like the students and their families in the community were dealing with so much, um, you know, being in a historically looted community. Um, And the work that you were doing with them sounds really incredible. I mean, when I listen to all of you, all I kept thinking, and I'm also thinking about your LLC, it's like, okay, audience, y'all need to hire them. (laughs) to do some work, um, because they will personalize it to your needs, um, just like they do with their, their students. And there's just such a wealth of experience here. And I wanted to, um, also invite Chanel to get to share about your experience as an administrator, I have my own personal experiences trying to thinking about becoming an administrator. So um, I I just know how incredibly hard that work is. And anyone that is an administrator, I just have so much respect for. Um, So I would love to hear more about your experiences. Yeah, thank you so much for asking that question. I guess to kind of paint the picture before I get into what my experience was like, I actually um, decided to go back to teaching and uh, be an administrator in the school district I went to school in. So it was um, when I was a student going through the school district, I was um it was primarily uh, a white community. And I think I I really can only remember like one or two people in my classes that were also um, people of color. So it was like not very common. And then um, of course, like a few years later when my siblings went through it, like the community was much different, but what really um, motivated me to go back and be a teacher and administrator in that district was because I had experienced um, 
so much like bullying and and racism that I wanted to kind of be not only serving as a math teacher, but also as like representation in these different roles. And so when I became an administrator, um, you know, I was also in an environment where most of my building was um, white people as well as like the other fellow administrators in the district were also primarily white. And um, it was a really challenging experience in that way. Um, also at my school, I think I was the second youngest at the building when I first became an administrator. So that was an added layer uh, to navigate as well. Um, and, you know, it, I will wait, say- Wait, 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 yeah. wait, hold on. <laughs> we can't like, we can't like brush by that because <laughs> like just the education world sometimes got some old biddies in there who have been there a billion and five years who do the same thing to the same thing and they give shade to new teachers so I can imagine the like side eye shade that you got as I'm pretty sure someone said something to the fact of I've been teaching longer than you've been alive um or I got kids your age uh all of those little like they're not even microaggressions. They're like Mack truck, I'm gonna knock you off kind of aggressions that um, you probably experience. I'm just projecting, I'm just assuming uh, these were so true. So like, I, I wanna like sit with the fact that like outside of being like a woman, a person of color, you were also a young, a young, a youngster. And so that also complicates a lot of the, the idea of like authoritativeness that, that goes along with being an admin. Yeah, exactly. I think that um, what I was maybe lucky, unlucky in the sense of when I went into that space, um, there wasn't really any pushback. I would say I got as far as those like direct type of, type of assertive comments I got from staff. It actually that came a lot more from um, the community members that I had to work with daily. So, for example, like. Um, police officers or other district people that would come in, um, any paramedics. So those types of emergency response people, I received um, more of that directness. I think with the staff at the time, um, they had a lot of trust in the principal. And so they trusted that if I had been hired, that it was, um, you know, for for a good reason. But it it was difficult at the beginning to really gain uh, the trust of the staff. Um, again, I wouldn't. I actually feel like the staff was probably the saving grace for me throughout my experience, and it was the district personnel that really made it more challenging for me of where I experienced a lot of. Um, some some very outright racism, ageism, sexism, um, all of the above. But I think something that um, I learned throughout that experience, and I I think maybe an unpopular opinion, but something I I really believe in is that as an administrator, I I I believe that as administrators, we actually need to prioritize the the teachers and the staff, and not the students. Um, and I think because 
if we prioritize the teachers and, and staff and everyone who's working with the students, then they will prioritize the students. And I, I saw in a lot of the work that I did, everyone would always focus on the students. And um, there was so much language around like teachers aren't doing enough. Like, why don't they want to stay after school for 30 minutes to help, you know, do this program or we're not getting volunteers anymore for all this stuff or and it was just this ongoing narrative and to me I was I, I pushed back and I would say well I think that teachers are overwhelmed and they're at their capacity and it's our responsibility as administrators to reduce that so that they do have the capacity to be able to volunteer or support in the ways that they want to and they actively choose to not are being guilted into um so I, I think, you know, actually it was very fulfilling for me to be an administrator, but because of all of the personal, um, I guess, oppression I received due to my age, race, and um, my, my gender, that's actually what really burnt me out was that I didn't feel like I was just advocating for staff, for students, but I had to constantly advocate for myself. And it got to a point where I felt like the Miss Kayvon, who I had to become to be that administrator that could make things happen and advocate for staff, and the Chanel who I, I know and I love was not the same person anymore. And I really needed to kind of step back and figure out how can I align those two. And I think it just goes back to the, you know, our, our whole conversation around identity in the mathematics classroom. There's so many places in education where we have to conform to be a certain way just to survive the system, is particularly as people of color. And um, it's really hard because you don't know, it happens so slowly. And by the time you realize it, now you have to go through this other identity and unearthing of like, how do I bring these parts of me together again? And, and who am I? And why wasn't these pieces accepted? Um, so, you know, I, I think that throughout the experience of being an administrator, I not only learned a lot about myself, but also a lot about of how much identity really, really matters in the education space, particularly with, with teachers and staff. Yeah, I actually had a principal, he used to call it um, trickle-down leadership, where he, um, I mean, I don't think he really wanted to invoke like a Ronald Reagan economics when he said that. But uh, Luis Delgado, amazing, amazing human uh, school leader. He uh, passed away a, a few years ago. Uh, rest in power to him. And he, he, that's what he did. He focused on, he poured into students and he also poured into teachers as well. And he really believed that empowering teachers would then, you know, then teachers would then, um, I don't like to use the word empower students because students already have power. We would recognize students' power and support them. Um, I mean, you are really contributing to that community with folks of dominant backgrounds to get to broaden their perspective um, kind of at your own expense. So I'm glad that you made the move out of that environment in order to, to preserve your, your health and your well-being. Yeah, thank you so much for for that that recognition. And I, um, you know, it's I I think 
what's so interesting about our experiences as people of color in these predominantly um, white spaces or really in any sort of like marginalized group with like a dominant, you know, characteristic type of group is uh, I, I found that the challenges our students go through with their identity and navigating these spaces is also the same that the teachers are going through and staff are going through. And um, I, I really do have to say at the end of my experience being an administrator, I think that the staff at my building, we really came to such an understanding and support of each other. Um, that really gave me a lot of hope that the, that this work matters, that we can make change together. And it really all comes down to, to connection and trust in, in allowing ourselves to be who we are authentically with each other and not breaking that down. Um, and and honoring the differences that come with that. Uh, that Y'all, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for like having such a wonderful, uh, enriching conversation. And I also want to take a moment to thank Gary for like creating space for everybody to kind of speak their own like experience and truth and power um, as a collective, right? Like y'all are a collective, but y'all are also individuals that bring something to the collective uh so it is game time carrie is that cool yes yeah? yes Did you want to say something okay so i also want to throw something out because in this conversation and we can cut this off it doesn't work that's the beauty of editing um i feel like i want to hear some i am statements from y'all um and I, the reason why i want to say that is because we keep on talking about uh, the counter narrative and uh, celebrating all the things that we are when it comes to math. So I'm throwing this out here now because we're going to play this game. So I'm going to give you time because Carrie always needs time. Carrie's like, I need my little thing time. I need M Michelle. I asked her to let me cheat. I have to, she has to give them to me like the day before. <laughs> and this day I did not do that. So <laughs> Carrie's going to kill me, but that's okay. Oh, okay. I'm participating too. Okay. Everybody's okay. participating. And so okay. um, we're going to play this game first. Leave the rounds of questions. I got about uh, 10, 10 questions. And then after the game, I will, we, we do um, appreciations. So uh, again, and I think we kind of talked about this, like appreciating each other. Um, and then I want us to end off with like some, I am like, you know, my name is Michelle and I am, and I'm just looking for like three I am statements. Uh, and I think that these I am statements are going to be powerful enough that we should cut them. And that should be the thing that we put in the beginning of the podcast. Hmm. Uh, I'm helping you out there, Carrie, with that whole <laughs> editing thing. Okay. So are you ready for this? Okay. So let me explain. I'm going to project. I'm going to, so for the audience sake, I am giving them an opportunity to read it, but I'm going to read these uh who are most likely to scenarios and this is the time for y'all to throw gentle shade at each other and like in a very fun <laughs> playful way um and let's see and, and and uh feel free to kind of explain and tell a humanizing story of why you would think uh this it, about your about your homie about about the homie so give me one second while I um 
while I set that up. One moment, please. One moment, please. Okay. Ooh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually give us a, um, Do, 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 do. I just realized I, I didn't put a, a, a cover sheet and I want to, I don't want anybody to cheat. So I'm going to give a cover sheet. There we go. Slideshow. Even though I'm going to stop calling it cheating and I'm going to start calling it being resource because when you got resources, you make different decisions. All right. Uh, okay. Here we go. Can everybody see my screen? All right. Can y'all unmute yourselves? Because it's not going to be fun yes. if you can't unmute yourself. All right. You ready? All right. Who is most likely to critical math drop edition? We might turn this into cards because, you know, we love a good game. Um, okay. Who is most likely to oh, 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 oh. be abducted by aliens? Which one of y'all? Who would be walking down the street and aliens would be like, swoop. Can I just throw a joke out there? Esther was petting her cat earlier. Perhaps the cat is an alien, so most likely Esther. <laughs> it's going to transform into an alien and abduct her. <laughs> I'm going to say Jerrica because she's out there to trying to go places alone oh, on yeah. her own. Easy to pluck out of nowhere. Nobody's going nobody's gonna to know. It's just bloop, gone. <laughs> my vote was for you too Esther I was like well it's between me and you because you know we're directionally challenged so we might just stumble upon an alien and you know just oh where are we going this seems like a different place Let's this seems like there. fun okay <laughs> who is most likely to lead the people through a zombie apocalypse I feel like it's Chanel just because with her administrative skills and the way how she can negotiate, she might be able to negotiate with the zombies. I'm are actually... we negotiating with the zombies or are we just taking them down? That too. <laughs> so I feel like I could handle slow zombies, but fast zombies is like a fear of mine. <laughs> like if they're too fast, I'm not sure. I might, I'm not sure. <laughs> My vote's for okay. Chanel too. Okay, who is most likely to lose their cell phone? If this was me and Carrie, it'd definitely be me. Yeah, Michelle, oh my gosh. I don't even have a cell phone now. I have a well, trap we, phone and my trap phone And her trap work. phone doesn't even work. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of our time spent together has been through Zoom or online. So like, we don't know if someone has lost their their phone i know i know i'm up there i know i am high on the list of <laughs> likely to lose my phone i can't lose my phone that's just it can't be lost <laughs> yeah i doubt like people um, i was supposed to go to dinner with my coworkers, and she like my old co-workers and uh shout out to miriam what's up miriam and she was just like, she Facebook messaged me and she was like, I was so tempted to call your school and call your classroom and be like, are you a lie fool? And I was like, that's what, that's me. I lose my phone. <laughs> and my friends were like, they call my house number. They call my mom. They were like, we just want to know if she's dead or not. And I was like, okay, great. 
because no one's heard from her. And I was like, I don't know where my phone is. It's turned off somewhere. Um, and I have a son, so I should. Now, my son will never lose his phone. It's like, actually, I think it actually is like attached to his body physically. Um, who's likely, who's most likely to give the best advice? I feel like I would choose, it. it's hard because I would choose Jerrica, Jen, and Esther for different reasons. So depending on Say which, more. which advice I need, I think I would like each of them have a different area of expertise. I think that for, I would go to Jen for any sort of like creative advice and being able to like bring the creative side out of me. And um, I would go to Jerrica for like um, maybe seeing the the strengths in me that I've forgotten and just like need a reminder for. And then I think for Esther, I would go to like um, be able to 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 build my confidence in navigating a system that maybe I'm not too sure about. So I think they each for me bring um, like a really beautiful part and I think I think that's how we all get along so well because we all have different parts y'all can't see this but each of them are kind of like beaming and smiling and that is so beautiful to see uh yeah does anybody else want to answer this Esther you unmuted just are you yeah I I, I was I was actually thinking Chanel because I have gone to her for advice of like just just um thinking through ideas and what Chanel Chanel will do is she'll give you a hundred. Like you come to her for one and she'll be like, well, you could do this, or you could do this, or you could do this. And like 30 ideas later, and then you're like, oh, okay, I think I got one that I can work with. I echo that. I feel like there is a, a wonderful advice from all three of my amazing colleagues. Like something else Chanel's really good at. I feel like you're really good at format, matting Google Sheets, documents, and everything. And Jerrica, thank you so much for being um our our, our co-founder, like executive director. I don't know what the actual title is. I know you have an amazing title too, but you always <laughs> <laughs> the, the like just the the positivity and the joy in things but then you also give our, our us grace when giving us advice and I and I I think we we just appreciate your leadership so much and then Esther I mean you got that book published and I can't wait to read it that's my summer reading list because that you will I know you have wonderful advice in that book by far yeah I, I feel like most, I have oh, oh, to sorry, stack Jenica. in. Okay. I'm sorry. I feel like okay, I have to okay, stack okay. in. I cannot stack in. We're going in an appreciation circle because I was also going to stack with all three that I would go to them for different advice. Esther, I feel like you're very direct. Like it's helpful when you just, you know, you need to lay it on the table. just say what it is, clean cut, like cut all the unnecessary stuff out. Here it is. That's what you got to work with. And then Chanel, I feel like, yeah, she just paints this like larger picture and is able to see all these moving parts, but in a non-overwhelming way that you feel like you're going to navigate things and like, you know, you're going to be okay. You know, you might be in, in a whole like tsunami, but you're going to be fine. Like <laughs> you're, you're going to make it through. And Jen, I feel like 
a lot of your your vibration is such like yeah just light and like always hope and you always see the best in things and you're over I feel like you're someone who can make something out of nothing like you always see the potential in everything and that just I think radiates all of like your creativity and your brilliance and your ability to keep you know transforming and shifting spaces so I, I had to stack on to share with everyone too because that was my initial reactions like oh all three of us that's why that's why we're a team okay who is most likely to pick up and move abroad like i'm out this country peace jerica's gonna do that like <laughs> she is literally <laughs> in a aren't you going to mexico jerica in five days i i'm going to nicaragua Oh, Nicaragua, because I, I yeah. feel like we talked about this at, at lunch that day, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. So, Jerrica for the easy win. Um, who is uh, most likely to respond to a text message weeks later? Who's bad at, who's bad at responding to text messages? I want to say a Jet. Yeah, I want to say Jen as well. I'm, I'm going to say <laughs> Jen. Jen looks surprised. She shouldn't look surprised. She's like, I started the message. I just forgot to press send. Yeah. That's mostly half the time. It's so true. I forget the send button or I accidentally deleted it. You have such an innocent look on your face right now, Jen. <laughs> like me not me I, always, <laughs> I i tell people i responded back in my mind that doesn't count that michelle wrote this question that. for herself she wrote this question <laughs> for herself and I also the losing the phone both of these i just thought and was like michelle you wrote this for yourself <laughs> definitely my questions okay who who gets scared easily like you can go behind them go boo who's most likely to scare easily Oh, you don't know this one. Erica? If I if I had to make a a guess based on personality, I think maybe Jerica might be easiest to scare. That was my guess too. Yeah. Like I, I like being scared. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> That's why being abducted by aliens and going to outer space is like right up Jerica's ear. She's like, yes. <laughs> Okay, who is most likely to star on a reality? Oh, she said a reality TV show, not school, reality TV show. Public school know, it might be Esther. Esther, I feel like it might be you. You're like so personable. Can I say the world? <laughs> I just met you, Esther, and I kind of feel that vibe too. I was like, um, <laughs> Esther might have her own reality. She's like, yep, yep. I would yeah. tune in too. Yeah, yeah. I would love to stir up drama by saying like, oh, well, this is what it is. I would love to just <laughs> tell people how it is. See, I would. I could see a lot of enemies. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind. Yeah, you okay. wouldn't care. You'd just be like, yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> Okay, and yeah, okay, I see it too. <laughs> and you can and you can end your show every day like and bring me pencils because we need pencils. <laughs> uh, at the end, yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. Who's most likely to be on America's next America's Got Talent? America's Got Talent. 
I think Jen, and I think the talent would be having like growing a plant. <laughs> it's true. I I have a whole greenhouse of plants in my house. Minus the real greenhouse part. Maybe one day. Nice. Your plants are nice. I'm gonna say Chanel. I'm gonna say Chanel because Chanel Chanel's gonna be up there one day uh for her singing her music yeah chanel's over here chanel you a singer sing or are you something. a musician oh no just kidding <laughs> um, i'm putting you I, out there <laughs> no, i um i wouldn't say i'm either i would just say i i really like music um and it's just like something i i like to continue learning about but i don't know that i would say i'm like a singer or a musician yet if you do it you are it like this is the same thing we tell our babies like you are a mathematician now as you're doing this math now right and so i'm i'm excited all right hey y'all in a couple months follow chanel's youtube channel uh her son cloud she's out here trying to make it happen who's yeah. most likely to be late for everything who's the person who's like <laughs> you got to tell them 15 minutes before the thing starts because they're gonna be 15 minutes late. Jerrica. <laughs> Jerrica, you giggled because you're like, that yeah. is me. Yeah, that is me. There's no denying it. They have to lie to me about when things are. Like, you get uh, scared about morning things because you're worried that you're not going to make it. Yep. Mornings <laughs> and me, I don't know how I taught. That was the downside of all of teaching. Like, am I even going to make it? <laughs> if it's at uh, night, I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> Who's most likely to laugh at a serious moment, like a nervous laugh? That might be a hard one. It's okay. How about this last one? This one's actually, this is a, a shot at Carrie, 100%. Uh, who is most likely to sleep through an alarm or a fire? alarm <laughs> buildings on fire and you sleep through it which one of y'all and then carrie's gonna tell a story how that's actually her real life <laughs> none of y'all will sleep through an alarm none of y'all will sleep no through i think jerica a... might that's who i would guess i think i might i sleep like a baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really might sleep through it depends how tired i am i slept through a lot of things I've got some kiddos who've slept through my math class. So, you know, uh, and I find myself, I think I'm entertaining, uh, but they <laughs> don't always feel the same way about me. And that's okay. That's okay. Carrie, can you tell us about the time you slept through an alarm? Okay. Carrie's Michelle, Michelle yes, exactly. Michelle only knows this because my mom decides to tell her embarrassing things about me that I, when I was uh, my first year of college, there was a fire alarm. And the next day, the building's on fire. It's on fire. Yeah. And the next day, everyone is talking about this fire alarm. And my roommate, Sonia, and I were looking at everyone like, what do you mean? And they just left us. Someone should have came to our room and knocked on the door and made sure that we got out the building. There's so many things wrong with that. A hundred percent. Like, we're glad you're alive. But if that was a real fire, you would be crispy carry. I know. And not and we would have never met you because well was... and 
Yeah. And I, I had a hard time waking up in the morning and my friend used to call me every morning because I would not wake up to the alarm. Like I would, I would slept like a log, but I like sleep. I like sleep like a baby. That's better than saying I sleep like a log. I feel like that's a horrible saying as someone who like have been around babies. Like that's not true. Like babies don't be sleeping. I don't know who who came up with that analogy. Like they might sleep for like an hour or two, but it's a whole thing about sleep training your child to sleep through the night. So what babies are sleeping hard? And and when you have a sleepy baby, everyone's always like, quiet, the baby sleeps. Don't make a move. So I really want to, I want to really, I want to look up where that saying uh, oh, came from. Maybe came from a father who actually doesn't know what's happening. I'm sorry. Sorry for my brother would kill me because my brother was very much so involved. Both my brothers, but my middle brother was definitely involved in his baby. He would have been like, how dare you say that about men? Because most men calm down full. Um, all right. Y'all, we did it. We did. This was our first group session. Hey. This is do like a round of applause. Yay. Oh, 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 we did it. Um, and everybody should know that we are always doing these podcasts not in person. So it is also extremely difficult to do this podcast uh, on a video call um, together. So we really appreciate y'all, really appreciate y'all. So um, we are going to, yeah, Crispy Carrie. I'm gonna get that on a t-shirt and wear that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Let's start with our appreciations. Y'all kind of already kind of appreciated each other. And that's cool. Um, but let's do a couple appreciations before we tag out. And also our I am statements, because I'm really excited about um, who I am. Just And it's just three, three I am statements. So um, I'm going to start first with appreciations. Uh, I learned something from each of y'all today. And um, sometimes when you do like group things or group settings or have you, you go listen to like a keynote or a couple of keynotes or a panel sometimes you find yourself only vibing with one or two of the people that was not the case today I appreciate the thoughtfulness around the questions I appreciate y'all's abilities to connect uh, with each other with us and to give our audience food for thought and I am so excited to continue to see y'all work flourish and grow um, 10 times fold right and all of the babies that y'all are supporting now and the ones that you will support in the future and their babies like your work is going to impact people who are going to impact people who are going to impact people so I appreciate that um about y'all and I'm so glad y'all worth the wait y'all are definitely um worth the wait and yeah and you know Carrie um Crispy Carrie Um, I love you immensely so, so much. And just listening to, um, our panelists, our our guests speak today, I've noticed moments of what in their work that I see in your work and what you do. And I really appreciate, um, that. And this is what makes this very, uh, synergy, synergy and all like lovey-dovey, hippy-dippy kind of, uh, stuff because we're all kind of like on the same wavelength maybe we'll all be abducted by aliens together yeah 
Um, I want to appreciate all of you, Esther, Chanel, Jerrica, and Jennifer. Uh, first of all, for hanging out with us for this long, because, you know, we're way over the time. We hella talk. <laughs> this has happened every time we, we do interviews, and we keep trying to reduce the questions. Like, okay, we'll do one main question, and then one question per person. Um, and we always go over time because it's so fun to talk with you. And I learned so much from all of you. And I just, um, I don't know. I have this, this, uh, feeling inside of me. Like I just feel so uplifted after today's conversation because I get to, you know, be in community with this amazing group of women of color. Um, so thank you so much for, for trusting us, uh, for saying yes to come on the podcast with us. Um, and, um, it was really fun today and, uh, Michelle, I want to appreciate you for, um, making fun of me. No, I'm just kidding for making me laugh. <laughs> I feel like 80% of the podcast is Michelle making me laugh. Um, and so, I just, I honestly appreciate that because, you know, Michelle, when we started this podcast, what my life situation was. And so you have definitely been a part of my healing journey. Um, and you've always uplifted me and, and brought a smile to my face. Um, so yeah, thank you to everybody. Are we stacking next on appreciations? Well, I don't know. I, I was waiting for Michelle to see if Michelle was going to close us out. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I didn't no, know we I want to, but you can, no, 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 but no, no, yeah, no, you know, yeah. you can say, yeah, you can share too. Yeah. If you want to share, like, I know y'all, y'all just appreciated each other with the advice thing. Um, I just wanted to give space and I was just going to move to the IM, but if anybody wants to say anything, a hundred percent, this is your okay, space, then. your time. Okay. I, I'm always a fan of appreciation circles. I feel like it was a very cultural thing that developed at the first school I taught at. And so I, I enjoyed it. I appreciated it. Um, yeah, so thank you, you know, thank you to the team, um, to my team, and I appreciate you all, yeah, making time and space to be here, for showing up, um, for sharing, for being authentic and genuine, as always. It's been such an honor to work alongside everybody over the last decade or so, and it really has been such a powerful experience to connect and meet so many different people that I feel like I otherwise, you know, maybe we wouldn't have connected or we would have connected later down the line. Um, and I just appreciate uh, the team a lot for that, for the community, for the support, for everything that you add to this, this different world that we're all trying to build together. Um, and I want to appreciate uh, Carrie and Michelle, both of you for inviting us, for thinking of us, um, you know, to be a part of your podcast and also engaging with this new work that you're doing. It's such a powerful avenue for you to just build this space where you do these critical mass drops. Like the name is so fitting and the energy is so um, uplifting. Like you were saying, it's inspiring. And I think it's time, um, like Michelle, you were saying earlier that we start echoing and, and centering on that joy and that uplifting amidst all the struggles that we're living and the reality of the the drainingness of the systems of oppression that we're fighting and struggling against you know the sustainability of our movement work is only as deep as our joy and the 
the ways that we connect with each other in these safe and meaningful and empowering spaces. So I want to thank you both for inviting us on here and for being here and present and all of your time and energy that it took for for to put this all together and that it'll take to to edit it all and cut it all, you know, everything that goes on behind the scenes. It's a lot. So thank you for your efforts. I also wanted to add an appreciation um, for both of you, Michelle and Carrie. Um, I would say specifically for making this a fun experience, for being fun people. I think that, I don't know why, but I've just noticed that in white spaces, like fun is just not a high value. And I value fun quite a bit. And I've noticed that other people of color seem to value fun at a much higher like value level than mm -hmm. when, when I've been in white spaces. And so I, I just wanted to add that appreciation that, um, that it makes it a much more welcoming space for, for people like us. Um, so I, I wanted to add that. All right. Uh, okay. So we're going to end with our IN statements and then we are um, overdue and that's okay. Yeah. So I'll start first and then um, let's pop in and then we'll end off and we'll say goodbye. Is that cool? Is that cool with everybody? Okay. Um, so my name is Michelle. I am a teacher. I am a learner. I am a child of this earth. I am Jennifer Dow. I'm a first generation Vietnamese American to attend college in my family. And I am a teacher. My name is Jericho Jurado. I am powerful. I am infinite. And I am timeless. I am Carrie. I am brave. I am resilient. And I am strong. I, <clears throat> I am Chanel. And I am hopeful. I am um, excited. And um, I'm, I, I am at peace. Um, I am Esther. I am part of something larger. Um, I am a learner and I am unsure of what is next. What I like about this activity is uh, y'all struggle to find the three things because you're so much more than three things. We are so much more than these three things and these three things are going to change. And I appreciate this. It has been fun, y'all. It's been amazing. It's been a learning experience. Esther, we try to keep it. We try to keep it fun because not all audience members are teachers. And so how do we keep, because uh, according to Spotify, we have a big following of 18 to 24 year old boys. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what's going on with that. We never, you know. said, we never said that explicitly. Oh. Yet. That's the first time we said that. We always are just looking at it and we make some type of cryptic comment about it. I keep saying, I think that maybe they're some of my students, my UNLV I also think, I also think it's just random people. Like, I just like, yeah, sorry. That was, that was funny. That was funny. Um, yeah. So. <laughs>
that's okay. Uh, anyways, so we really appreciate y'all. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for supporting. Um, we are so excited to drop these links. Um, Chanel, um, Jennifer, Esther, Jerrica. We are going to drop all of your information on our website. Um, when Chanel, you have a paper coming out, right? Or Jennifer, Esther has a book. Jennifer, you have a paper coming out, right? So Jennifer, when your paper comes out, let us know and we can add that link back onto the um, back to the website. Esther, we'll add the link to your book onto the website. Um, Jerrica, as you move to Nicaragua, if you want to put a donor's choose, a GoFundMe, we'll drop that link onto the website. Uh, all the things um, uh, as resources so people can check it out. We really, really appreciate y'all. So um, yeah, this is uh, episode 13, 14, 17, 29 of uh, Critical Maps Drop. <laughs> yeah, we out, y'all. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.